0: Hey everybody, it's Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Men Within. Hope you guys are having an amazing day. Today I am sitting down with Jeff Stewart and he is a new friend of mine. I recently interviewed on his podcast called From Crisis to Connection and was talking about porn addiction. Uh, this is an area that he specializes in and he's actually a licensed marriage and family therapist with over 24 years of experience Helping couples and individual individuals heal from the impact of sexual betrayal, unwanted pornography use, and partner betrayal trauma, he's an author. He is a podcaster, as I mentioned. Um, he's produced workbooks and courses, and he's just a very brilliant, bright individual. And what I really appreciate appreciate about him is his experience. You know, because I am, uh, you know, I've been formally in this space for about three and a half years, and. The people I love running with the most are definitely people my age. So we're all, you know, relatively new to this, you know, less than 5 years or certainly less than 10. But of course, uh, the only way that we're really going to grow and further what's happening in the world today is by learning from the people who have been around a bit longer. And so I brought Jeff on for that reason, but I actually had a very specific agenda in mind, and that was to talk about the journey from when you're in a relationship and you disclose your struggle Number one, how do you do that well? What does that look like? So talking about disclosure, and then what is the journeys, uh, the journeys rather um, that run in parallel of the person who's healing and the person who's working through betrayal trauma? What does that look like step by step? Uh, what are things that that guys can do to make sure those steps go well and that they're really being supportive for their partner? And when all is said and done, what does it look like? You know, just casting a vision of what happens at the end here. And I think. Um, I just think you're going to find this episode really useful if you're in that situation where either you're single and you know that one day you're going to have to have this conversation with your loved one, or if you're in a relationship, dating, engaged, or especially married, and you know that you need to have this conversation, I had you in mind. You are the person that I did this interview for, so please listen to it, take notes, pay attention. There is a wealth of wisdom and knowledge we talk about kind of concepts and principles, and then we also give some really specific nuts and bolts how you can actually apply this and execute it well. And you will notice that throughout the interview, there is sort of this undertone of, hey, we encourage you to do this with some help, some professional help from a coach or a counselor. And so if you're in that situation, you want some help, you can always reach out. Uh, This is something we've helped a lot of guys go through. And as you can see from Jeff's experience, he's done quite a bit of it as well. Um, But without further ado, I'm going to send you right in. And um, the last thing I'll just really say about Jeff is he is like the prototypical therapist counselor he's just he's so calm he is so uh warm and friendly and he just has this way of speaking to your heart in a very unassuming way so i know you're really going to enjoy this i am so glad i get to share this with you without further ado here's my interview with jeff stewart so here's the million dollar question how are men like us who work hard have good motives and a god-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam, welcome to Unleash the Man Within. All right. Well, I'm here with Jeff Stewart, host of From Crisis to Connection, an incredible podcast that I had the privilege of interviewing on a little while back and uh, just an absolute wealth of wisdom, knowledge and experience in this whole area of porn addiction, especially in a relationship context. So I'm really excited to have you here, man. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you. Yeah. So I'd actually love to start with a little bit of a background because you are very seasoned in this area. You've been practicing for, I think two plus decades, if I did my research correct. And I know you've probably seen your share of it incidences in this arena. Uh, I know for me, even from when I was struggling with a porn addiction about 10 12 years ago to now, um, even the landscape of just how people are engaging with the content, the impact yeah. it's having, it all looks different. So I'm, I'm wondering if you can maybe just take us a little bit back and just give us a bit of framework for why you got into this work in the first place. How did this all come about?
1: Yeah. Well, my journey, yeah. I mean, so I, I was in grad school back in the late 90s and um, I started working with a lot of families and long story short, I just, I felt like I really wanted to get my hands on these kids, mar- the parents, the marriages. I just felt like there was mm-hmm. so much going on upstream there that would really impact the, the kids and the family and the community. So I just kind of worked my way upstream and started working with marriages. Well, the kinds of marriages that were coming in were were marriages that were dealing with uh, a lot of sexual betrayal. And, and when I started working with couples, this was in the early 2000s when the internet was now starting to become way more commonplace, high-speed internet. Right. And all these people, I, I worked in a rural community where there were no you know adult bookstores or no convenience stores that sold pornography or nothing. It was just super rural ranching community. And yet right. all these people were coming in with um internet addictions and porn addictions and um even some were getting arrested for crimes against children and stuff like that i mean people that had would never have done this stuff in a million years in this small isolated community and all of a sudden it's like blowing up so i knew i needed to get more more support and more training and help with this issue um and i mean i and i was familiar i'd been exposed to pornography as a teenager and as a young adult i had seen stuff i knew how powerful it was um, and and I, I needed more resources and more tools and help. And so I went and did some, some more advanced training and got involved, start actually moved my practice to a bigger city and started becoming highly involved in, in treating this issue for couples and then ended up writing a book on it. And I mean, the list goes on and presenting all over and uh, being highly involved in working with these issues um, from an attachment context. And I, I just really, um, I just really sort of snowballed into this. It's like you mm. kind of get the ball going and all of a sudden people <laughs> find out you can help them. And then there's so much need. And yeah. then it's, it sort of became an accidental specialty, but I, I, I do feel like it was God. I, I feel like I was, I was led to this. I feel like it's been my calling. It's been something that has blessed my own family, my marriage, my kids. And of course, hopefully the people I've worked with. Um, but it's, you know, people are hurting and there's a lot of, there's a lot of struggling marriages around this issue, a lot of secrecy. And so the more we talk about it, the better resources we have, the more people can have confidence that they can heal.
0: Yeah, that's really well said. You're very modest because you're, you're quite prolific. You've done a lot. And um, it is uh, it is just clearly a calling on your life. I'm, I'm glad you kind of set us up here to, to really go into what I want to focus on today, which is just how do you deal with this in a marriage context? I think a lot of guys are handcuffed. I know um, the yeah. typical story I hear is, yeah, she kind of knew about it when we were dating. We had a conversation or it came up. Um, yeah, she hasn't really asked about it, so I haven't brought it up. I don't want to hurt her. I don't want to you know, create problems. But this is now 10, 15 years in. And I think maybe some guys in the back of their head know, oh, she probably should know. Maybe I should have the conversation. They don't know how to go about it, so they maybe prolong it. Um, so I think I, I think that's that's an example, but there's lots of facets to this. I I always tell guys, look, you can confess basically, or you can get caught. Uh, <laughs> you you kind of get a choice, right? There's there's not a lot of options when it exists. Exactly. Um, I, I don't know. Let's let's talk with the the person maybe who's like they're not even ready to like or thinking about jumping off the ledge and actually having the conversation. They're way way away from it. Like. No, 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 no! I'm not touching that conversation with a 10 foot pole because of all the problems it's going to create. What What would you say to somebody who's maybe in that position, Jeff? Well, you you you've got to you've got to uh, confront your own story
1: individually first, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to get honest with yourself before you could ever get honest with a partner about it. And so if you're if you're listening to this and you're single and you're not you know you're not even dating anyone, um, but you're sort of anticipating, oh my gosh, how am I going to deal with this with a partner? Well, start dealing with it with yourself first and get comfortable telling your story to um, another person, to a group, to a trusted friend, um, to yourself, to God. Like start mm-hmm. talking about this problem and facing it, whether you write it in a journal or something like that. As you make contact with your story, your, your shame, your fears, all the beliefs will start coming up, which is good because you want you want to be able to confront that stuff and heal it, integrate it. So that you have the ability to look somebody in the eyes and be able to say yeah this is definitely part of my story and i have i have no deception inside of me i'm telling the truth this is exactly where i'm at if you can smoke all that out and do that work on an individual basis Mm. you'll make the best partner you will you'll be you'll be such a healthy person and i think the i think people that are in recovery make some of the best partners because they're reinforced they're transparent they're honest all the things that make good marriage partners Right. Um, and don't get all hung up on the fact that you've struggled with this issue. The, 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 to me, the bigger damage in a relationship is not that you're a human and make mistakes, the, the bigger damage is that you can manipulate or, or destroy somebody's confidence in the rea- in truth and reality by hiding in secrecy. So if yeah. you can get honest and face this yourself, you'll be better set up. Um, now if you're in a relationship and you haven't been caught, whether you're dating or your marriage you're married and you're wondering, oh, how do I do this? Like you said, you have two options. And I promise you, you will save so much time and money and energy <laughs> <laughs> oh, by coming forward with it. Then, then I mean, helping somebody overcome this in a couples context with rebuilding trust, um, it's not easy either direction, but it is yeah. so much easier to do it if your partner knows that you were the one that wanted to bring this to the light, that you're the one that wanted change. Because mm. otherwise, you'll spend a lot of years trying to overcome this belief that she has that she's the one that wanted it more than you. And that's yeah. that's a hard thing to prove.
0: Huh. Um, so you can prove it by showing up and being honest. That's really good, yeah. And I think what a lot of people fear, like when when they hear the idea of like, yeah, you do have to have this conversation with your partner, all the things they fear the rejection the abandonment the the marriage is over those things are very unlikely when you're actually initiating that conversation and coming clean they're they're still possible like not going to eliminate that as a possibility but they're much more likely if you get caught you know and i think that's where you can really um, take some control over the situation so okay let's say we have somebody who's married they have maybe they've done step one here of doing the work themselves. I love where you started. Like it does have to start there. You have to start engaging with your story, start owning the work. Um, at what point do they start to have that conversation with their significant other? When When is the right time to do that or to say, yeah, I think I'm ready to finally disclose? Um, you know, the truth is, is that as soon
1: as possible. Like yeah. mo- most most guys are going to wait for the perfect, op- there's no perfect opportunity. Um <laughs> You know everything from like well i'll do it on new year's you know or i'll do it you know after her birthday or you know i mean you're just you're making up all these excuses the truth is is that i'll just shoot straight like the the best time is now the best time was yesterday like you yeah you really need to get this out and and you may you may feel like well i don't know what to say i don't know how to talk about it well then that's fine like um you know, find somebody you can talk to, to kind of dress rehearse it if you need to. So you can make contact with it, talk about it, process through it. Um, but even like a really amateur, like disclosure of just trying to tell the truth is way better than some rehearsed thing that you've like put off for a year, Mm. way better. And, and, you know, in terms of like doing a full formal disclosure, you can do this, you can do this a couple of ways. You can say, um, I've been struggling with something, and I'm I'm going to counseling now, or I'm getting some support or some resources to learn how to talk about this in a healthy way with you. That that of course is going to ignite a, th- a lot of questions of like, well, what's going on or what what's happening. Of course, it's going to trigger a lot of fears. Yeah. Um, I've seen I've seen some people do that and, and go fine with that. That's fine. But the the best way, if you haven't told your partner anything, is for you to then get immediately working on. Um, organizing your story and, and doing a, a full disclosure. Um, and, and that is, you know, you need to start working on it as soon as possible. So when I say yeah. open this up as soon as possible, doesn't mean that you just start blurting it out in the middle of the night or on the drive somewhere. It's, yeah. it's get started on it right away. And it may take you a few weeks or a month or two to kind of get everything organized and get a full story and get it, be able to share it all. Um, but you don't want to put that off and you may feel like you're never really ready or prepared for it, which is normal. Um,
0: but you but you bringing it forward, like we said earlier, is going to make the biggest difference. That's really good. Yeah. And I want people to hear that as well, which is that it doesn't have to be polished, but you also don't want to do it off the cuff. You want to put Correct. some thought into this and some intentionality behind it. Uh, are there any Are there any rookie mistakes or things that you're like, whatever you do, just make sure you don't do this, or maybe maybe there's some things that you're like. Make sure you absolutely do this, or <laughs> include it in your full disclosure. Just and I don't know any any guide points there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you know, the, the, some examples
1: of of you know disclosure attempts that really I think are more damaging. There's you know there's a staggered disclosure or a drip disclosure some call it, which is basically um, you're just so scared of giving you know, uh, you, you just don't know what's going to happen. So you just give it out in pieces. Um, so you might tell part of it today and then they handle that okay. So then you tell a because your guilt is kind of chipping away at you. So you just kind of eventually release. But what that does, that trains your partner to believe that um, they're never going to know the full truth, that they can always brace themselves for another surprise. Mm. And that's just going to erode trust and make it hard for them to really feel safe with you. And that's really more about you protecting yourself than about protecting them with the truth. Ah, yes. Um, and the, the other one that's that on the opposite extreme of that, I mean, the the one extreme would be saying nothing, right? But then the drip is sort of like the first attempt at it. But then you swing over to like maybe this fire hose um, <laughs> type disclosure where your guilt just takes over and you're just basically gushing out everything and there's it's dysregulated. There's no pattern or purpose to it. And you're not really even caring about their feelings or what they can take in. There's no time for questions. You're just, I just need to get this off my chest. I don't care if it's two in the morning. I just need to. That's more about you again, you being Mm -hmm. dysregulated. Um, And then of course, everything in between, which is your disclosure you know, is full of blame. So you're blaming them for everything and making excuses. And you're just getting so lost in all the details of your childhood and wanting them to feel sorry for you. And you're proving that you're a really good guy, but you didn't mean to. And I mean, all those things can make disclosures so impossibly difficult to to Mm. heal from. Um, So, so in terms of like what it should look like or what a healthy disclosure looks like, it actually is going to feel a little bit probably more clinical than maybe what you would normally feel like, you know, your normal type of conversation. So for example, it's going to focus on, um, you know, date ranges and behaviors and um, specific things that you've done. And a lot of people wonder like, well, how much is too much information? And, um, if you're not sure, then that's a really good thing to work with um, a coach or a therapist on to really get some clarity. Um, there, there's just a lot of um, every partner is different. Some partners want to know a lot more than others, and so, um, but you, you're going to allow space for questions anyway in this, so that it's okay. You don't have to you don't have to worry about every single detail. You just need to be willing to tell the truth when it's mm. when it's time to. Yeah. But but basically, it's just going to be a, a, a timeline of this is how long it's happened. This is where it's happened. This is um, you know the types of things that have happened. And this is uh, this is how much money I've spent on it. If there's people involved, these are these are the people. Um, these are the relationships. And you want to just get everything out on the table as as clearly and honestly as you can, and do it just one time. You just want to do it once. You don't yeah. want to do this. Um, over any length of time or several sessions, and then make room for your partner to ask questions.
0: Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I suppose you're you're trying to get everything out there in that conversation. But you're I, I imagine would it be safe to say that there will be more conversations um, as well, right? Like this is not a one-off, and you never have to talk about it again. The idea is you're opening the door now for you to, I guess, have conversations on an ongoing basis. Would that be fair to say, Jeff? Oh. I- Hundred percent. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Um,
1: I'll tell my guys all the time. Look, there's no expiration date on the truth, you know. And so your partner needs to hear the truth. And and there's no expiration date on their questions either. And so if if you know a week from just you know opening up about this, they all of a sudden have a clarifying question. Um, it will it will totally damage trust if you say like, Hey, I already told you everything. When are you gonna let this go? Why do you always bring yeah. things up and you go into that blame mode? That's that's because you again you can't even tolerate your own story. Hmm. So if if a guy is is able to really make peace with his story and can fully own it,
0: he'll be able to tolerate whatever questions come up whenever they come up. Yeah, okay, makes a lot of sense. Now the the thing that you said that I love is after you've shared, of course, you're leaving space for questions. And one of the things I've always encouraged people who are going through the disclosure process is to really engage empathy in their preparation. Just think about what it's like for your partner to hear this kind of news, imagine it a little bit, um, and and let some of that intel, I guess, just dictate the tone that you use and the way you're sharing things because when somebody's had their chance to process it, of course, they they have a, an understanding of it, but their partner, for all they know, is completely gobsmacked by it. Um, mm-hmm. Are there, I, I guess I'm wondering like, is there any any tactics you recommend or anything they can do in particular to really make sure that their partner is i guess just able to ask questions fairly you know and i, I think you're, you are mentioning some great things already like obviously you're, you're not blaming you're not pinning anything on them or making excuses um and you know you're you're talking it through in a coherent way but i guess i'm just curious is there anything else um on that front
1: yeah i mean ideally ideally if you have access to a coach or a therapist that can help you with a disclosure yeah then then that's you know a a guided formal disclosure is is the best it's the safest for the betrayed partner it's going to help control the 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 dysregulation in in this in the meeting it's going to really help you both have a better experience so i'll just put that out there yeah not everybody has access to that so we obviously want to teach good principles but um i don't recommend this as a do-it-yourself if you have access to somebody who can help guide you through it. yes yes um and so with the questions there's there's two kinds of there's kind of two ways the partner gets a chance to ask questions. When I'm doing disclosures with people, um, I will ask the betrayed partner to submit questions beforehand to me. Hmm. And this this really, in the meantime, while um, you know, for most of the couples I work with, it's the guy that's disclosing, so I'll just use that uh, kind of example here. Yeah. Um, I'll, while he's working on his disclosure, while he's writing out his story and going through everything, Um, that's a really hard place for her to be, for her to be, um, you know, thinking, trying not to obsess about it. It's a very fearful place to sort of wait for this event, this kind of scheduled trauma to happen, you know. Hmm. And so in that time, she needs to have a voice. And so I'll have her write down questions and keep those in a journal and then have have her share those with me so we can talk about them. And, And a lot of the times, those questions will reveal um a lot of things that she sensed or picked up on that maybe she you know didn't know um and and this is this is if she knows the disclosure is going to happen right if she knows there's one coming up or it's scheduled you know like um the most common presentation unfortunately is where the guy gets caught or something some kind of it comes forward comes out somehow and then they come in and they're like we need to do a full disclosure and get all of it out you know yeah um And that's kind of what I so if she has time to think through and prepare questions that can really help her and then also he gets a copy of those so he can answer them as part of his disclosure so when he comes into the disclosure meeting he's gonna be already answering a bunch of um, asked a bunch of questions she's already organized for him Um, but but if you're if you're just coming for the first time you're going to tell the truth and just open up and share this stuff with your partner um, in terms of leaving space for those kinds of questions, you need to ba- basically allow your partner, allow her to um, interrupt and ask questions whenever she needs to. Yeah. She needs to be able; to, otherwise, she's not going to hear a thing you say. After, if she's holding on to a question, so if you're going to get irritated or frustrated with her stopping you to ask questions, then um, you got to you got to recognize that that's that's you know your own control issues or shame or fear and things like that. Yeah. And if it's just getting so out of control, you feel like it's blowing up, then then get into a therapist or coach as, as quickly as possible so that you can um, get some support and some structure around this. Yeah. Um, but if you, if you send a message to her that, you know, I'm open, I, I have nothing to hide, you can ask questions, we'll talk about this as much as you need to for as long as you need to, then that'll create a lot of um, soothing and comfort. Even though it's hard information, Mm-hmm. Um, the experience of knowing that you're going to be with somebody who's an open book is very safe. Um, you might think, oh, she's going to think I'm a monster because of the things I've done. No, the scariest thing is to be in the dark. It's not to like be with a, another human who's flawed and m- makes mistakes. It's it's the control. It's the secrecy
0: that's the most damaging. So stay open. Yeah, that's really good. And I guess just to maybe clarify, it sounds like you're saying there's there's maybe an initial disclosure and then... A full disclosure later on. Am I hearing that right? That's the most common. Yeah, yeah. It's rare
1: that you know. As much as you and I will tell people, Cynthia, to to say like, "Tell the truth. Get open about it now." You know, when you're dating, it's not going to be a betrayal because you're just telling them your story. You're just being honest with them, and mm. you're just letting them know. And that can do a lot to build trust and create a secure relationship. If you're right. married. And or you're in a committed relationship and you've been looking at pornography, you've been acting out with these things, then there's going to be a betrayal element, and so um, you're gonna you're either gonna get caught or you're gonna open up about it. And generally, there's going to be an initial disclosure in most cases, and then you'll need to go in and do that full one, like like you clarified there. Um, yeah. Most yeah, people so. don't do it thoroughly the first round. It's just human nature. We just we get scared, we get overwhelmed, get ashamed, get defensive, and you're gonna to need to slow it down and do a more thorough, that's why I like the name of your program, Deep Clean. I mean, I just say, like, yeah, we gotta go deep. We gotta like get all the way through here, not just not just sort of get through it,
0: you know? Yeah, yeah, that's that's really helpful. And, and I think for the partner as well, because um, there is probably that initial shock in that first conversation, them having that gap gives them a chance. I love that you you give an outlet for them to ask questions or write their questions out rather. I think that's fantastic. I'm wondering if you can actually shed a little bit more light on betrayal trauma and maybe give us like a trajectory of like, why, what what is betrayal trauma as a starting point? But then if someone did perfectly follow the path of working through it, what would that look like? Because I, I know I have some guys who are in my community and their wives are like, No, I'm fine. I forgive you. It's all good. And they're not really particularly interested in going down that path. Um, can you just shed a little bit of light on that area for somebody who's maybe curious? Yeah, no, that's great.
1: Um, so I mean, betrayal trauma by nature is really another way to look at it. It's, it's intimate partner betrayal. So there's a difference between, um, you know, being traumatized by something somebody else does to you, you know, if I get mugged on the street, I'm not going to see that person again you know but if i had to if i got mugged on the street but then i had to go home with that person and make dinner with them and go sleep in the same bed and like share finances with them you know i mean that just creates like so much anxiety and you don't know when to turn it off it's Hmm. like i've got a and so that's where that's where the betrayal is betrayal trauma is so difficult to heal from because you're basically living with the person that you know, betrayed you, the person that, and, and, and because you've put your life in their hands, as we do in marriage or intimate relationships, I've given you my body, I've given you my, you know, my life, my time, my energy, my effort, and I've shared all this freely and openly. And when there's been deception or there's been, um, you know, you've broken your vows or you've broken, you've crossed lines, you know, then, then basically you're, you're now having to figure out who this person is how they really feel about you, and whether you're safe to like, put your life back in their hands. Hmm. And all of that has to be decided while you're in relationship with them. It's not like you get to take a break from it and go, you know, disappear for six months. I mean, some couples do separate, but most people don't. And so it creates a lot of anxiety, a lot of fight or flight. In fact, 70, 80% of the people that are intimately betrayed like this experience Symptoms of post traumatic stress disorder, which is, wow. you know, what soldiers and natural disaster victims and rape victims experience, you know.
0: Did you say seventy and to eighty percent?
1: Yes, experience PT the symptoms for PTSD. Wow. Criteria meet the criteria for it, not just symptoms. Like they have full blown PTSD. Wow. And and that is and that is uh You know, you're you're so when your partner is anxious or asking tons of questions, or these are all kind of safety-seeking behaviors. They're trying to, they're trying to turn off the fight or flight. They're Mm -hmm. not just being controlling. They're they feel out of control, so they're trying to regain some stability so that they can think straight and not just be totally hijacked by this all the time. So, um, so betrayal trauma ultimately is, um it's It's really just the deepest kind of betrayal you can experience as a human because it's it's at the hands of someone who you know ha- totally was supposed to have your back. like your guard is totally down with this person. Yeah, and that's where it's hard. It's like, and so why do some women and in, in you know your example, why do some not struggle well?, um, In my experience, the ones that don't struggle with it, have either struggled with addictions or they've struggled with compulsive behaviors or they've made big mistakes themselves so they have more understanding of it. They don't feel as shocked by it because they're really in touch with their own struggles. Um, Or their partner opened up to them and they they told them about it, they were honest about it or they were always honest with them about it. You know, I've had some couples where the guy was like super upfront with it when they were dating and then he opened up about it after he was and see the, the one of the biggest betrayals is is the is the manipulation is the secrecy and you know some even describe that as a as a form of you know emotional abuse where hmm. you're controlling someone else's reality and i agree with that i i think that those behaviors are very damaging psychologically and relationally when you're gaslighting someone and keeping them in the dark and Distorting their reality and making them believe that there's something wrong with them. Those are hard things to overcome Yeah, and that's really what's at the heart of betrayal trauma.
0: Okay, that's really helpful So I know you're quite big on the rebuilding trust component You have a course about it and I want to get there, but I guess before we get there I'm just imagining those early stages after Let's say the full disclosure has taken place Mm -hmm. The the man is probably maybe feeling a degree of relief that it's finally out and okay, my wife's not leaving me. Yeah. My wife's not in shambles. Obviously, work to be done, but like probably whatever he was fearing, it's it's unlikely to actually take place. Meanwhile, the partner is dealing with betrayal trauma, experiencing uh, the likes of PTSD, and and obviously having to sort her thing out a little bit. From the guy's perspective, what what can he expect from his partner early on, or not expect? Um, I guess I'm just wondering from a relational perspective. Like, can he should he be expecting his partner to? kind of to shut down? Um, is it okay to engage? Should he be keeping his distance? What does that part look like?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, first of all, it's it, this is not a 50-50 type thing where it's like, hey, you know, we're the same, you do your work, I'll do my work, or I affect you the same way you affect me. A lot of guys will try and level the playing field and act like this is just a marriage issue. And this is not a marriage issue. This is This is a deception. This is a betrayal issue, and so it's it's. Um, if I were to put a percentage on it, if it's not 50/50, then I, you know, I think in most cases it's like closer to 80/20, maybe 90/10. Um, and in the right. very beginning, like maybe 100%. You need to like, if you're the one that's broken the trust, you have to carry the hope, you have to carry the relationship, you have to carry the, 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 the lion share early on, of rebuilding. So many guys early on will go right into like, well, you're not nice to me, or or you know you're you know you're um, you're this and that, or there'll be a lot of blame. And and the the reality is is that um, rebuilding or rebuilding safety in the very beginning is really about stabilizing the the, the post traumatic stress. So right. as humans, you know we have we have this t- the tendency when we're in trauma, we have very natural reflexes, right, to fight back. So some partners get. Loud and aggressive and violent, even. Some will flee, which is they just shut down, pull away, avoid, won't bring it up, and so sometimes you look at that and think like, well, they're not saying much, so things are probably fine. Well, they might be in <laughs> flee mode. Right. Um, and then there's then there's freeze, and some just get kind of frozen, and they, they it takes them a while to thaw out. They just, you know, they they don't know they they it looks like. Fly, like flea behavior, but it's really more internally, they're just seized up. They just feel like they're in shock all the time. Yeah. And then there's another F, which is fawn, which is to uh, sort of go along to get along, where they just sort of act like everything's fine, but they're not fine. Huh. And they do it as a survival way to kind of like keep the danger. It's sort of like, uh, you know, like a lot of hostages will do with their captors and they'll just be like, you know, they'll just be nice so they don't get hurt and a lot of the times you'll see one of those four responses from a betrayed partner so if you're if you've hurt your partner you've betrayed them and they're acting in one of these four ways you know one of the most helpful things you can do is become a safe person by telling the truth being open being Mm -hmm. compassionate being really safe letting them know that they that there's no Danger in the environment that you're not gonna you're not gonna keep adding to the danger with defensiveness or hiding or Blame or any of those things and so the more you can turn off the threat level or turn it down Yeah um, The less they're gonna be engaged in these fight-flight type behaviors that I just described yeah, so early on so much of it is about conditions and safety and creating an environment where where they can relax and not feel so on edge all the time because it affects their sleeping and their eating and their thinking and their day to day they that you really have to help them take care of themselves
0: physically and emotionally so that they can just slow things down okay that's really helpful so a colleague of mine actually we were we were discussing this the other day of kind of Um, I I know there's some people who are in the space of like even going as far as to say, like, don't don't even engage in sex those first uh, the first 90 days or, you know, everyone's got their own range. Yeah. Just because you're you're going to re-traumatize the individual. Um, And of course, you know, maybe that that space is also helpful for the person who's in recovery. Uh, Just wondering if you want to comment on that and maybe not. It doesn't have to be sex specifically. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. But as well as just like I'm imagining a couple going to church, right? Or um, sitting down and doing the budget together, like just certain things could be triggering. And what, what should a guy's response be and what should he be expecting in some of these avenues where you know they're typically doing things together, but maybe now the betrayal trauma has sunk in a little bit and the, the woman is not feeling as comfortable to engage that way.
1: Yeah, so, so you're, you're, you're basically, if, if you're in an attached relationship, if you're in a marriage or a long-term relationship, you are clearly a source of comfort for this, for, for your partner. You know, they, this is why they're hurting so bad, is because you were their safe person. You were, their per- you were supposed to have their back, they were counting on you. Like there's a bond there that is, is deeply comforting when it's going well. Mm. And now you're a source of pain. Well, just because you're a source of pain and you've hurt them, doesn't erase that you're also a source of comfort. They aren't just gonna shut that off. So you're now living basically as two things to them. And, and so my recommendation is to err on the side of closeness, err on the side of, of moving toward them because it's so much easier for them to ask you to go away or to push you away than it is for them to go find you and bring you closer. Right. It's, it's really hard for them to, um, you know, to reach and to risk. But, but if you're, if you're erring on the side of closeness and you're you're in the same room with them and you're just, um, accessible, you're responsive, you're right around, you're easy to find, you're easy to get a hold of, you're easy to connect to, then that's going to really leverage that source of comfort piece that maybe they aren't consciously thinking of, but it feels nice. Hmm. If you just say, well, clearly I'm a source of pain, so I need to like go far away and you spend more time at work or you, um, you know, you're just avoiding them or going to your room or just trying to give them space that generally is going to increase their anxiety and and cause them to feel more abandoned and alone and it's actually going to maybe make it easier for you to feel like you don't have to face their pain Hmm. but it's going to be harder on the relationship so when i say err on the side of closeness um, i'm really talking about you calling on your courage to move closer to what's going to feel like a porcupine and you're just going to stay as close as you can and recognize that that's going to just create an atmosphere of security for them yeah. even if they aren't saying nice things to you it's kind of strange right but um and so then the, then the sex falls into that so if you also, i'll say just something about that i don't prescribe how much or how little sex people should be having in this phase okay um because for some people it might feel really nice to to be close physically close sexually close and then what i'll tell guys is look if your wife wants to have sex with you and feel wants to feel close or wants to to hug or kiss or be close be prepared for the fact that she might have a real kind of vulnerability hangover after that and the next day she may need some distance and she may not be interested so don't take it as a as a permanent green light it's going to be like a traffic signal and you got to recognize it's going to change depending on a lot of things that may surprise you and you may be thinking you're headed right for the intersection and it goes (laughs) yellow and you're just like okay I guess I better slow down (laughs) and and she's need she needs the option to move that signal up and down and um, if you're just gonna be like nope we had sex it's green light we're good um, you're gonna do a lot of
0: damage yeah well said really well said so this is a nice segue actually into Uh, what i imagine a lot of people want to hear about which is okay what am what am i actually doing to rebuild trust in the marriage uh you just talked about even reading being able to read the maybe non-verbal cues so i guess verbal cues as well of your partner which is often a skill set that i think is lacking in people who are experiencing addiction and um and then you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast you talked a little bit about attachment healing through attachment I'm wondering if you can you can do them all separately, or maybe the one that's most important. I don't really care, but I'd love for you to just talk a little bit, Jeff, about what that recovery process really is like, and what are the, some of the things guys can do not only to get healed and to get whole. That's what that's what we do. That's what this podcast is all about. But I'm specifically interested in what can they sow into their relationships to really put things on the right trajectory.
1: Yeah. So what I what I like to talk about and teach in my course and just in my work with clients is. It's all about conditions. You you can't make your partner trust you, but you can create mm. conditions where it's a really easy decision for them to open their life back up to you, mm. and and so they're they're constantly telling a story about you and about the relationship in their mind, and so what kind of material are you giving them? Are you are you is, you know is your voice uh, calm and loving and supportive? Is it defensive? Is it you know, accusing? Is it shame based? So you doing your own work to to really be in control and clear on how you're showing up day to day, moment to moment in this relationship is going to impact the conditions, you may feel like there's nothing I can do. Not true. You can you can every day control how you show up and 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 the environment you're you're contributing to. And so um, Mm. you know how it is, you can walk into a room and feel the temperature change. Um, we have that impact. Our energy and our presence really does have a lot of an impact on, on our partner. So um, it's less about technique and, and tools and skills and tricks and things like that, because that can border into the kind of manipulation stuff. Yeah, this is really right. about your heart being right, you having self-awareness, you developing deep compassion for your partner, understanding the power of attachment and how how powerful you are and helping them heal and learning how to leverage that so that you can really show up as as a strength in their life even though you've made mistakes i often joke in my in my course i have this module where i talk about that that the guys are really just kind of this uh, jackass warrior it's like it's like they they've totally Damaged the trust and done a lot of dumb things with the jackass part But then there's kind of this warrior like she wants them to really fight for her and show that they're Gonna be protective and that they're that they're stable and they can be counted on that. They're consistent You know all the things we look for in a warrior. who's gonna really have our back Yeah, and you're just kind of both things and a lot of guys just feel like well She thinks I'm a jackass, so I'll just you know go act like one and just disappear Right. Or sometimes they just are like, I'm all warrior. And if she brings anything up about my past, it's like, no, you're both. You're both all the time. Um, and even long term in the recovery process, she needs to be able to say, um, you know, I love you, but you hurt me or man, all that stuff was so hard. And that was such a crappy time in our marriage. And I'm just so glad we're still doing this together. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's bold. both. <laughs> Yeah, and so you're just you're just learning how to consistently create an environment where she's free to come in and out of her trauma, where she's free to move close to you, she's free to move away from you, yeah. And you're bolted to the ground in your own commitment to your own healing, and you know where you stand, and you know the work you're doing, and you have confidence in that, and that will signal over to her that like she has something to hold on to now. Um, does she need to do her own work and need to heal? Absolutely. She can't just passively tap her toe and wait for you to get better. Yeah. Her work is her work is very active as well in terms of regulating her emotions and understanding where she's been injured and grieving the losses. And there's a whole process for her mm. but that you can't fix. Um, but you can do a lot to create conditions where she can free up her energy to focus on her own healing and look at herself and do that work so she's not just all the time having to protect
0: herself from you. Yeah, okay, that's really well said. So let's cast some vision for, maybe I can imagine somebody listening to this podcast who is maybe in the really early stages, maybe hasn't even had that initial disclosure, so yeah. to speak. And so they're they're hearing this process and going like, oh my gosh, like, what is all of this onto? Because I think, um, at least the clients I work with, a lot of them just want things to go back to the way they were and there really is no such thing. As far as I'm concerned, it's it's really about creating a new reality, embracing a new reality as That's both right. heal, get better, and really are building, a, I would say, a, a, almost like a brand new relationship what does that what does that look like are there any like uh signature qualities in these relationships when you know both partners really heal well and the guy recovers and and the woman works through her betrayal trauma or the partner works through her betrayal trauma rather like i guess i'm just curious is there can you cast some vision for what this looks like when all is said and done oh i love that question so much yeah like
1: this is this is why i get up every day this is why people are, how can you work with this stuff all day long probably the same for you it's like i see i know what's possible and yeah. i see that people can heal so what that looks like well there's a deep security there's a there's a sense of like peace um the relationship is more flexible and it's more honest and so that what that looks like basically is somebody can um, be open and talk about their own struggles and they have somebody who's supportive and understanding mm. and there's just there's just a a, a real quality of um, support and understanding that didn't exist there before, where it was fear and hiding and, and denial. Um, there's there's mutual support, so people are taking better care of themselves individually and together. the The relationship is oftentimes more prioritized mm. as something that you protect, and so there's there's better boundaries around the relationship. And couples are oftentimes more picky and and careful about. Who and what they let into their marital circle, their bond. Mm. Um, they, I think, they're better parents. They, they tend to be more open about sex. They tend to be more open about hu- just being human, making yeah. mistakes. They deal with they deal with mistakes and challenges so much healthier. Um, oh, the list goes on. Like, I, I think that people that heal from this um, would never want to go back to the old normal. Yeah. when they really understand what's available to them it's like they would look back on that and think oh man it's amazing what we settled for and and I'll make this clear again a pornography issue is not a relationship issue it's not it's not caused by the relationship it's it's a decision that somebody's making to handle their stress or their relationship issues in this way yeah and so the relationship um, will heal and improve by virtue of doing this work individually and as a couple, but the relationship doesn't cause it. And so fixing the relationship is really a byproduct of two people taking a hard look at um, the own, like healing from the betrayal, healing from um, acting out and all the other things, lust and whatever, and, and coming together and saying, we want to build something new. And that's a very intentional process, a very open, transparent process that I think creates tremendous security for families.
0: Oh, yeah. I love that answer, too. That was really helpful. And hopefully it paints a picture because I think everything you talked about, you know, the, the transparency with kids and the stronger marriage, like these are the things that are usually driving people to get free of a porn addiction to begin with. So I think that's that's really, really insightful. totally. Yeah. Um, okay, what, what about the time frame? And I, I know there's no such thing as like uh, in 11 months, you know, you'll be here and whatever, whatever. Um, but is there is there a range? I, I remember we, we interviewed a, a guy named Jared Lopes on the podcast. And I, I don't think he, he didn't specifically go through this issue, but but there was some breakdown in the marriage. And I think he had said it, it took it took years, you know, years before it felt like the relationship was really secure. He was confident in himself. She was confident in who he had become and everything else. Um, I, I imagine trust is not rebuilt overnight what do you I don't know can you comment on that if somebody is wondering like how long am I signing up for here by embarking on this journey
1: Yeah. so so uh, Jennifer Schneider, she's a therapist psychiatrist in Arizona she wrote a book called sex and forgiveness sex lies and forgiveness sex lies and forgiveness okay and it was a study that she did like 25 years ago so it's pretty dated but she did a study with couples that had been through sexual addiction, sexual infidelity. So it was, it was, it was not internet pornography because it didn't exist. Internet pornography didn't exist back then. Yeah. And right. so these were people that were doing, um, in in many cases, a lot of physical kind of crossing the flesh line, doing a lot more, uh, cheat, direct cheating, physical affairs, things like that. And what she found in her work with them is when they were in an active recovery process. So for a lot of these people, it was therapy, sometimes 12 step groups, other programs, when they were doing their, their work, um, she found that within about a year that, um, that about 70, 80% of the part- betrayed partners, somewhat trusted their husbands. Okay. And then about 18 months to two years, mostly trusted. And then you get into kind of three years, and it's like you know eighty, ninety percent of them, if they were still working through that process, they they pretty much were like, yeah, I, I trust them. Like so, wow. I just tell people, look, it's gonna be a two to three a year process, yeah. and and for some obviously faster, some slower, but but overall, you gotta reset expectations. If you think that this is gonna be, look, I'm gonna tell you the truth this weekend, and we should be good by Christmas, or you know, let's get back, let's get back to normal. Um, you're actually going to slow that process way down or you're going to create kind of a time bomb that mm. will eventually catch up to you um, down the road. So um, slow it down, give yourself plenty of time and recognize that, again, using my example of of somebody who mugs you and then you have to go home and make dinner with them and you know share your money and, and your bed, um, that would take a long, long time for you to start to believe and trust and kind of get to know this person because... When these betrayals happen, it's almost like you're you're with a stranger. It's like, who are you? How could you do this to me? Do I even know you? It can yeah. go that deep. Right. Not every couple's like that, but a lot of couples it it can be really, it can be really frightening to sort of be with somebody that you didn't think would ever do this to you. So yeah. recognize that it takes way longer
0: than people think it does. Yeah, and that I think that's helpful. Helpful for people to know. Uh, what they're signing up for and what they can expect along the way, right? It is a gradual progression to that place of you know restored trust and security. Yes. Um, I guess one other question for you is, I'm 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 just kind of imagining. I guess all the all the couples you've worked with, all the different things that you see and the commonalities. What what else happens to somebody's um, beyond the marriage? What else do you notice changing in individuals when they start to get free in their passions, dreams? Um, I don't know, their callings, whatever else. I'm just curious about that part. What else do you witness? Oh,
1: I mean, I, I think people start to become really honest about their needs and their desires or dreams. A lot of guys, um, you know, a lot of guys that I work with would, would, you know, would say that they don't, in the past, they felt maybe that they didn't have permission to like um, really sort of answer the call for their dreams or their desires, because they almost felt like guilty, or maybe even felt like going to porn in some ways was kind of their outlet. And so a lot of the times, when, when you shut that off, and you, you open yourself up to, to vulnerability and possibilities, a lot of the times people and their 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 sensitivity increases, they, they I think they're more creative and have more opportunities and, and life just gets better. Absolutely. Mm. And that's just on an individual basis and a lot of partners this is an invitation for a lot of these women that i work with it's an invitation to do deeper healing that they probably wouldn't have done um you know you don't want anybody to go through this but after they're done with it there's kind of like i can't imagine my life had i not gone through this like it's right it's not something you tell people in the beginning right because that's not very sensitive but but we want to hold out a place that says look there is a really beautiful life on the other side of this if you'll stay with the process
0: yeah where does god and faith tie into the this journey i'm i'm just curious for you how do you how do you see it play out oh it's huge to me
1: i i I don't know how you could do it thoroughly without it um i i think that surrendering to god um i mean you know the alcoholics anonymous those guys figured it out in the 30s they're like okay this is bigger than me (laughs) and (laughs) so so i think when you're when you're controlling the truth and you're secretive and you're manipulative, you're in a, you're in a, in a sense playing God. Hmm. And so, for you to like surrender control and and surrender the outcomes and trust that God is is cares deeply about you and your family, your relationship, then you've brought in it like the most powerful teammate in the universe, and and you've hmm. brought in a resource that you couldn't have done. And so, I believe in miracles. I believe that people. Can be transformed and healed in deeper ways as they surrender and submit to god um and and faith i mean you know there's there's so much power in submitting and trusting and believing and accessing that that power from on high i'm a very spiritual person i believe deeply in these things and i think that um that so much of pornography struggles and even trauma they're spiritual issues they, they tap into our identity, they tap into how we see ourselves and, and, yeah. and our belief about what our purpose is in our lives. I mean, it gets, it gets into all these kind of bigger existential questions of the self and what does it all mean that, um, you're not just going to answer by just stopping a behavior.
0: Yeah. You have to yeah. really
1: reckon with your view of yourself. And, and I think God has the best answers for that.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. Jeff, this has been amazing. I feel like I could ask you another 20 questions, man. Thank you so much. Uh, For people who want to connect with you, I highly recommend they listen to your podcast. It's really, really good. And I did have the privilege of being on there myself, but I know you have some other resources as well. How can people find out more about what you're up to?
1: Well, yeah, first of all, thanks for joining me on the podcast. It was awesome to talk to you and I can't wait to share it with my audience as well. So, um, yeah so the podcast is called from crisis to connection so you can find that on all the major platforms and then um, my website's the same name from crisis to connection and um, on that website you know I, I write a weekly relationship column so I have some free stuff like my podcast and my column and then some you know lower cost stuff um, some I have a course for couples on pornography that is like a six hour audio course and then my my bigger trust building boot camp is a 12-week online video course to help couples. Really it's for the individual who broke the trust to learn how to create those conditions and stay in it. And so that's that's been a really um, powerful resource for a lot of guys who blow blow it, you know, break trust, don't know what to do, don't know where to start. And then I walk them right through the very, from the very beginning of, of rebuilding that trust. Um, but yeah, I'm on social media. It's, it's just easy to find me out there. So I'd love to connect with you and be a support and a resource for you in your process, so.
0: Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so we'll put links to all of that in the show notes. But Jeff, thanks so much for your time and your wisdom today, brother. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Cynthia. I appreciate you. All right. So that was my interview with Jeff Stewart. And if you are somebody who's looking to somehow engage in this journey. Maybe you haven't disclosed anything or you have disclosed, but you want to kind of just understand the betrayal trauma process and the healing process and get to the finish line. Uh, I know that this interview brought tremendous value to you. I want to encourage you. uh, Go check out Jeff's stuff. Go uh, buy his course. Uh, He he keeps his stuff very affordable. Uh, go listen to his podcast from Crisis to Connection, Connection, uh, connection. Um, a- anything, like anything you can get your hands on uh, that he has out there. I highly recommend it. It's going to help you. It's just going to make you stronger. It's going to allow you to not just get free of porn, but to really get your life back on track. And that's what this is about. You know, this is not about getting free of porn. This is about your calling, your destiny, your relationships, your sense of self. Uh, these are the things that are at stake here and the things that you have a chance to do something about by checking out Jeff's stuff. So I highly, highly, Highly recommend it. Um, I'm really, really excited to share uh, his stuff with you and I hope this interview helped you. And if you are looking for a blueprint for the recovery journey, so you're saying, okay, Cynthia, I know I gotta figure out this part here in my relationships, but I also need to recover myself and I don't know what to do there. The Last Relapse is the book that I wrote specifically for you. It, It was to give you our blueprint for recovery. It comes with a free workbook so that you don't just read good material, you actually get to work it out, exercise it, do it to its fullest extent, and you can get all of this for free, no charge, at thelastrelapsebook.com. You get a free digital download. You get your free digital workbook. It all gets it all gets sent straight to your inbox. So I highly encourage you to get your hands on that. Thelastrelapsebook.com. But without further ado, guys, thank you so much for listening. I wish you an incredible day, and we'll talk soon. Bye bye. Hey everybody, it's Thea again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within.